the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And when we see the love of God, the tears of God, and the darkness of the cross, there we see the kindness of God. And that is what must move the soul to come to God. Our conversion is not worth anything. It's not real conversion. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, but we would love to see you there. And we will have details on that as we continue on with today's program. You can also watch the broadcast live, streaming at reachinghearts.org slash video every Saturday at 11. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the first part of a message he calls How God's Grace Changes God's People. And we hope that you enjoy it. Remember, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his righteousness. Thank you for his love. Thank you for his care. Help us to know the kindness of God in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. William Arthur Ward once wrote that a warm smile is the universal language of kindness. I can remember my mother's smile of kindness, perhaps... We learn kindness for the very first time from our mothers who smile at us. How many of you can remember your mother's smile? You can. I can too. Boy, I love my mother's smile. In fact, that's how we imprint on kindness. We imprint on our mother's kindness by the smile that we receive. And when we get that smile, we're loaded with love so that we can go for in the future. When a mother is smiling back upon her baby, the first picture of kindness imprinted on the baby's face is pure grace, grace from God through a mother's love. When a father disciplines you, discipline can crush you unless there is kindness in a father's discipline. If a father just, I'm going to get your act together, but if he's tearful as he disciplines you, there's kindness there. It matters. Sometimes kindness is discipline applied with strength and love, but it is kindness nonetheless. We live in a world that is desperately in need of the milk of human kindness. Am I right? The world needs kindness. The culture that we're struggling with today is an angry culture. Revolutionary, intolerant, left-right talk, red-blue talk. Who cares about that? We need kindness. When theologians define God's grace, they call it the unmerited favor of God poured out to save us. God's kindness is God's grace that reaches us. Recently, someone shared with me that we shouldn't talk that much about God's grace. They meant well. Friends, we need to talk more and more of God's grace. Because it is the grace of God that changes us. 
It's the grace of God that transforms us. It's the grace of God that takes us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's light, and thereby we are children of God for eternity. God's grace is God's kindness applied, and He gave it freely to save the world, to save our souls. We should say, Amen, praise God for the kindness of God in our life. I want to smile real big with my Captain Hook smile because I love God for loving me with kindness. Are you with me? The Apostle Peter, not Paul. We often think of Paul as the one who speaks of grace, but Peter did too. In fact, Peter is the first person in the New Testament to proclaim that both Jews and Gentiles are saved in the same way by the grace of God revealed in Jesus, the kindness of God that came to us in Jesus. There's a key word in the Old Testament used so often in the New. It's the word mare in Hebrew. It's used for the appearance, the manifestation of the Messiah in Daniel and Isaiah. And the New Testament uses that word again and again and again to show us that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment at the end of the 70 weeks, the 490-year prophecy of the appearance, the manifestation of God in human flesh. Acts 15.11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter is saying, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Oh, not might be saved, will be saved, how? By the grace of God. God will save people you think aren't deserving of being saved. God will reach out to save the lowest of the low because in His eyes there is no place so low that the grace of God cannot go like the river Jordan to the Dead Sea to make it alive that flows from the sanctuary, the living river of God. God finds the lost for God, the kindness of God. Paul defined the relationship of God's grace in saving us in Ephesians 2, 5-9, perhaps the most famous statement in the Bible about God's grace. Let's look at it. It says, even when. I like the way he starts that in verse 5. Even when. Even when is where we're at. That means we're in trouble. It means when you wouldn't think you could save someone. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Now, we don't live without Christ. We can't get to heaven without him. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I like verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You should take your pen and etch that in your Bible and make it permanent. By grace you have been saved through faith. You know, sometimes, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be saved or not. The Bible says in Jesus you have been saved. That salvation in Jesus is objective. It affects you every day of your life. If you believe in Jesus, you stay with Jesus. You get to grace. You'll be saved at the end of the age because you have been saved in Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, Frankly, scholars have debated whose faith is it talking about there, our faith or Jesus' faith. And the best exegetes would lead us to believe it is the faith of Jesus that saves. Now, by faith we lay hold of it. That's true. By faith we seize the faithfulness of Jesus. You see, the mustard seed of your faith lays hold of a faith that was perfect. You can't be saved and have sin in your life. One sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. Christ died for us. Perfect obedience. He lived a life. He died for us. But friends, if your faith falters, it's not good enough to be saved either. Christ had perfect faith for you. And so when we lay hold of the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith that justified Him in the resurrection, our faith lays hold of faith that has merit. 
So both maybe are implied, but the best Bible students believe it is the faith of Jesus that Paul reiterates again and again. For by grace you have been saved through faith that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Paul was saying in Galatians that faith came, faith was revealed when Jesus came. Verse 9, not of works lest any man should boast. The person who has Jesus in their life has the faith necessary to get them to the judgment day. They have the merits necessary for the judgment day. They have the acceptance of God because God accepts Jesus. So how important is Jesus in our life? Huge. You cannot place anything of more importance than the person of Jesus in your life. Paul is very clear here. God's grace saves us for the purpose that God can show his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have been saved for a demonstration of God's kindness. Some of you say, well, Pastor Mike, my life is so hard. I struggle with this and that. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And friends, look at the scripture. God has saved you to demonstrate his kindness in your life. Very few people ever ask the question, why am I saved by God's grace? Why did God do it? And the text says he saved you for kindness. According to Paul, God administers his kindness into our lives through Jesus Christ. I mean, if you want kindness, you need Jesus. Jesus is God's avenue for pouring his kindness into you. If you want God's kindness in your life and you have no place for Jesus in your life, you have no place to receive kindness. What does God's kindness do for us and why is it God's purpose to reveal it to us? Look at Romans 2 verse 4. Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness? I like that, the riches of his kindness. How much kindness does God have? Look at the text. If he's rich in kindness, how much would he have? What? A lot of kindness. Thank you. He would have so much kindness that it overflows in our lives, that there's never a deficit of kindness, that we have the riches of God's kindness. Romans 2, 4, or do you presume? Now, what does God's kindness do for us? What's the purpose of kindness? Paul really tells us in Romans 2, 4, or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to do what? What does he say? To lead you to repentance. It's a paradox. Now, think about that. You know, sometimes you think, well, when the preacher stands up and he begins to preach a fire and brimstone sermon and he's got the holy wrath of God in his preaching. I mean, you've heard it. I grew up in the South. There's a cadence to preaching the South. You go something like this, well, I tell you today, we're going to call you to repent. You know, just that kind of thing. You ever hear people preach like that? You, yeah, yeah, you have, well, you go down south, you'll hear it. In my hometown of Galax, Virginia, they did it a lot. It's in my head. I don't preach like that. But it's interesting. And I remember sermons in my local church that was not a Seventh-day Adventist church where they would go through the fires of hell and they would say, brothers and sisters, we need to accept Christ today and you want to avoid the fires of hell, come up here in the altar call. Boy, it's easy for people to come up in an altar call when you say something like that. Who wants to go to hell? No one does. Friends, that's not how God wins us. God wins us because God is kind to us. God wins us because at the cross of Christ, Jesus went to hell for us. Christ experienced the condemnation of our sins. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. And when we see the love of God, the tears of God, and the darkness of the cross, there we see the kindness of God. And that is what must move the soul to come to God. Our conversion is not worth anything. It's not real conversion. You know, it's a paradox that sinners and rebels against God thrive on planet earth for a time because God is kind. 
God does not immediately wipe out and destroy evildoers. God is long-suffering. God is tolerant as He waits for the opportunity to touch the hearts of those who hate Him with His supernatural kindness. That is why the sin struggle drags on and on until its final end at the time of the end. Because God wants to save people enough that He allows evil to do its thing while He works on the hearts of evil people. Galatians 5.22, one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness. Just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is kind to people because God's Spirit represents God's heart and mind and character. And so we worship a triune God, the Trinity, the God of kindness. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, they are kind to each other. And from the love and kindness of God, they pour it out on the universe. I must admit that there have been times in my life when I could not relate to God as a God of kindness. Has anybody ever felt that? There have been times in my life where I couldn't grasp that God was kind to me. I didn't feel He loved me. I felt He didn't love me. I felt He was just trying to trip me up, snare me, prevent me from making it to heaven. Am I alone in that? You know, some of you have felt that too. Okay, let's, let's be real here. That's what happens when you see God as your judge and not as your friend, as your master and not your father as your critic and not your counselor. We don't even know what kindness is unless God reveals his kindness to us. No world religion has succeeded in revealing God as a kind being. And when they say all religions lead to God, that's nonsense. One religion leads to God because only one religion reveals the kindness, the mercy, the love of God at the cross of Calvary. Judaism that gave us the Bible brought us Christ who died for the Jewish people and the whole world also. The kindness of God. The prophet Isaiah predicted that in the manifestation or the appearance of the Messiah, the servant of the Lord would have no form or comeliness that we should desire him. His externals would not matter, but there would be a kindness in him that would draw the world to him. He predicted that God's saving and suffering servant would bear our iniquities and carry our sorrows. Isaiah said that through him God would become our counselor and friend. God's servant would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, so that by his knowledge God's righteous servant would make many to be accounted righteous. The prophet said he would bear their iniquities. Now that's a heavy load to bear. Friend, every sin I have ever committed, every sin you have ever committed, was placed in Jesus. Christ felt like he did it. That's how close he came to us. So he could take it away. The book of Revelation chapter 1 says he has loosed us from our sins. The one who loves us has loosed us from our sins. He has separated your psycho personality from your failures, from your moral lapses, from all those things, so that he could love you, transform you, and keep you for all eternity as his precious child. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Jesus appeared on earth to save us from our sins. 
in his mission to reveal to us in final terms the knowledge of the kindness of God. Look at Titus 3 verse 3 down to verse 5 with me. Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by men and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, I like verse 5, He saved us. Not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. Boy, he said a lot here. Let's focus in on it. Paul is saying we tend to live like rats down here without Jesus Christ. We're really hard to get along with. We treat people awful. Someone offends us and we lash out at them because they took our cheese away from us, just like a mouse trying to grab his cheese. Someone hurts our feelings and our ego, and we tend to get even to make them look bad, so it makes us look good, and we think that means fixing it, right? Someone disturbs our little order, our sense of self-esteem, and we decimate that person the eyes of others. We put them down, or in our own eyes or behind their backs to make ourselves look good, not knowing that we are the broken ones that need the mending. Malice, envy, hatred, living for what you can get instead of what you can give to others, and being deceived by denial and self-justification. It's the human way of getting through life and getting ahead, isn't it? It's Darwinian. It's like evolutionary. The fittest get it all and nobody else does. But friend, if you win that way, you lose with God because God doesn't work that way. God's kingdom is based on saving grace and kindness. Who wants to go to a church full of people who live like that? How many of you want to go to church with people like that? None of us, right? Who wants to be in a place that's called religious where people eat people alive? Forget that. I'd hate to go to church like that. Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to change this rotten order of things. Christ appeared to show us the better way, the way that we could never have come upon ourselves were it not for the grace and kindness of God revealed in Jesus. Paul is telling us in verse 4 that when Jesus appeared, God's kindness appeared, the kindness of our God and our Savior. We are saved by the kindness of God given to us in Jesus. Now the Greek word Savior means healer. How do we know that? If you go to the Asclepions, the great healing institutes of Asia Minor, which were basically snake pits, I mean, psychology was very basic back then. If you had an emotional disorder and you were feeling real nervous, they'd take you out to the snake pit, and these snakes wouldn't bite you. They weren't venomous, but, boy, they were scary. They'd leave you in the snake pit all day, all night. And then after you were finished screaming and get all your fears out, they would say, are you afraid anymore? No, I'm not afraid. Get me out of here. And that was considered to be a cure for people. They called them Asclepions. There's one at Pergamos. I saw one at Ephesus. And these healing institutes, which were based around the idea of snakes, the symbol of healing goes way back as a serpent. You know, I think it was Jesus who said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's a sign of Christian healing, too, because sin goes on a cross. The serpent gets stuck on a pole, and Christ dies for us as if he's the serpent to take away the sins of the world. The Greek word Savior means healer. And back there on those Asclepions, you'd see the word soter, the Greek word savior, and it meant healer or physician. What do we need saving and healing from anyway? Friends, we need to be saved and healed from ourselves and from sin. And am I right? I mean, there's messy stuff in us. We need to be saved and healed from it. 
We need to be saved from our hard hearts that hurt other people because sin puts us on the throne instead of God. And because sin values the ego more than the personhood of someone else whose ego is crushed, maybe. Sin has a way of making us look good and others around us look bad. In verse 5, Paul says, God saved us from that kind of yucky stuff. He rescued us from stuff that has no place in the church. He healed us. He got something magnificent done in our lives, and not because we are good people. We aren't. I mean, I've been to testimonies sometimes, and I've heard people give testimonies about how good they are. You ever hear that? Well, I've been with the Lord for all these years, and I've hung in there, and I feel mighty righteous about this and that, and I pray for everybody and their uncle, and I do this, I do that. And I get tired of that word I in a testimony. I love to hear what the Lord does for you, what Christ has done. Uh, maybe testifying to human weakness and saying, I'm not a perfect person. I failed the Lord. I'll keep my sins to me and God. But boy, God's been kind to me to help me overcome this week. He's been kind to me to help me see my flaws in me, help me to understand more deeply the cross of Christ. Those are good testimonies. Paul said, God got something magnificent done in our lives and not because we're good people. He did it because God in his kindness and his righteousness revealed a kindness in Jesus that we could never have come up with on our own. Paul then says that we get this kind of kindness in our lives by the regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We don't get it because we're good at getting better. We don't get it because we go to an ethics class or a self-help group. We get it because God in Jesus is better than us and somehow the Holy Spirit comes into us when we receive Jesus and God begins to change our attitudes, our lives. The Greek word for regeneration is literally the word the new birth. It means to be born again. It's the same kind of thing that Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus in John 3. Christ told Nicodemus that he had to be born again. He said, well, how can I be born again? I enter my mother's womb and be born a second time. He says, no, Nicodemus, you're a literalist like the Pharisees. You need to have the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing in your life to change it unseen. And the effects will be evident when that occurs. And Christ told Nicodemus that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again, born of the Holy Spirit and this born of water, which is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important to be baptized. A person who's baptized... It's a recognition they've accepted Christ, they've been born of the Holy Spirit. Because we can't make ourselves kind, loving, good, honest, and the like by simply trying hard, we can't educate our character into place and fix our selfish heart by ethics, order, and anything else. We can't change a heart that is hard, deceitful, mean, arrogant, harsh, immoral by simply trying harder to be better. You can try, it won't work. You try hard, you fail, it's the way it is. Friends, we can't put love in a heart where there is no love. It takes a miracle of surgery by the Holy Spirit to transform who we are. We can't become unselfish people unless the Holy Spirit works that change in our selfish hearts by the power born from God. So Jesus says when a person is born again, they're born from above. The spirit of a man or the spirit of a woman is the mind of a man or woman and our minds And our psycho-personalities, now hear me out, they're a mess. Am I right? Well, they are a what? A mess. And so we need the stuff that's not a mess. We need God in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
That's why David said, teach me truth in the inner man and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He said, I blew it. I killed a man. I lied. I took his wife. I mean, I was a prophet of God. I killed the giant. And look what was in me. I was capable of that. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's the prayer of humility, and God will always answer it. The Holy Spirit, friend, brings the much-needed change that only the Holy Spirit can bring into the life that is dead already without God. Paul is telling us in Scripture that the Holy Spirit comes to work on our hearts as we come to believe the revelation of God's kindness in Jesus. Now, if you don't think God's doing something for you at the cross, if you don't think He's dying for you at the cross, if you don't see the kindness of God in the cross, then you won't be drawn to God. The cross is the revelation of the love of God to save us. If you don't believe that Jesus is the manifestation, the mare of God's kindness, the appearance of God's kindness, then the cross will do nothing for you. And we must believe because by faith we are saved. We exercise saving faith, flawed though it be, in the faithful one, and we are saved. The Greek word for renewal in verse 5 means literally to be new again. The Greek word implies a complete transformation of the life for the better life. This we cannot do on our own. It means growing young instead of growing old. It means getting better instead of worse. It means change for the good and not the evil. It means growing like a lily and not a thorn. Friend, God has called us in Jesus to the new life. That is the radical break from the old one full of fear, full of malice, envy, strife, and just plain meanness, lust, and the like. God has called us for a noble life as Christians. The kindest people on earth, and I'll say this, the kindest people on earth ought to be Christians. Well, that will conclude the first portion of How God's Grace Changes God's People. And we appreciate you listening. Remember, you can find this message online at reachingyourheart.com. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.